This is the Play Call Podcast with Jose Roden, your host, with Nicholas Williams, the other co-host. Uh, we're here. It's just this is going to be the first episode. This is going to be a podcast. We, you know, cover football, basketball with like real in-depth analysis. We both love those sports. Uh, we've been friends for some time now since going and working at WBCR at Brooklyn College. Uh, we're also going to have some baseball and soccer analysis that I'll kind of be the head of there because those are sports that I have a place in my heart for, especially soccer. So uh, you have anything to say, Nick? Well, it's going to be the first pod, so we're going to see how this goes. But I'm Nicholas Williams. I knew Jose for since, what, like 2019? Uh this guy, he, he just loves his sports. He, what did you say you, when you, you basically like was watching sports since you were like four? Yeah, my mom would put on Mets games to put me to sleep or to keep me calm <laughs> when I was like three. So, and I'm not even a Mets fan anymore. So, whatever. But, dang, bro. <laughs> but yeah, um, some of you may possibly have heard my voice from, my channel on YouTube, I basically do like full NBA analysis, like going into film, player breakdowns. I truly believe that, you know, just going into the nitty gritty stuff and just getting the the gist of all that. But yeah, that's who I am. Uh, is there anything else you think we should say? Or we'll nitty gritty stuff. The nitty gritty yeah. stuff in sports is the best part of sports. That's exactly. my own personal exactly. opinion on that. We are both sports guys, reporters, looking to be analysts. So this is something start of something new here. Uh, so we hope you guys follow us through and enjoy the pod that we have. Uh, so we're going to get into like a lot of NBA today, most everything in NBA because the playoffs. Yeah. Um, who do you think this is started off? Uh, which series do you think is a Mickey Mouse series here? Like from the first like, round? Yeah, from the first round. Which ones are Mickey Mouse series? I feel I got- like the only sweep, but I feel like that's the obvious choice. Like, you can't even say, like, the Jazz and Grizzlies series was a Mickey Mouse series. I know we're really not going to get into that today, but still, like, honestly, I was watching game three, and if the Grizzlies won game three, the whole series would have been different. And they had a chance to, but they didn't because they're younger, and it makes sense, first time in the playoffs. But if they, like, in two years... I'm going to be very happy to watch the Grizzlies in the playoffs. That's I'm, I'm, I'm excited. That team is on the come up. Um, the funniest part of that series was Donovan Mitchell and Dylan Brooks basically going oh at it. <laughs> I think Donovan Mitchell, like uh, yesterday hit this, he was breaking him down and then he just hit this tough three pointer in his face. And then he was going down the other end was trash talking Dylan Brooks. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I, stuff. I I love it and I get it. I feel bad for Dylan Brooks because, like, Mitchell is clearly 
a lot better than him. So like, I, I kind of feel bad, but D- Dylan Brooks is a good player in his own right. But Donovan Mitchell has quickly become one of those guys where you're like, all right, he's in that topper echelon of players, not like top tier, but he's, you could see him down the road starting to turn into something like that. But yeah. Donovan Mitchell already been that guy though, ever since his rookie year. No, yeah, he's been the guy on the Jazz, but he's not that guy in the league. He's, like, just a really good player. What do you mean by not that guy in the league? Like, how how many how many players will you need to run through pef- before you say Donovan Mitchell's name? And, like, a top – like, is he top 10? Is he top 15? Or are we putting him, like – the 20s i i know we don't do that but if you had to think it out and like again as like an intro thing this is a podcast where we'll try to stay away from lists because lists can be subjective and opinionated and all that stuff you know before that <laughs> and then it yeah so we'll try to stay away but if you had to think about it how how deep is he because me he's like 15 to 20 like off the top of my head like if you had to run through it he's in that range so like he's in that he's not the top tier nba player he's like the second tier which is amazing because uh, that's fair sir. yeah so top five shooting guard uh, uh i i don't like positions in basketball but that's that's i feel like we've never gone into that conversation before but like position basketball is weird because like what's james harden combo guard hybrid point guard shooting guard yeah depending on what year you're talking about like exactly point guard but when he was starting out in the league solely a shooting guard so I just think, and then like, where's Luca? Like, it's just like you're in a weird situation of life in basketball where there's very few clear players in roles, and maybe the only clear position that there is where you could point to a player and be like, that's what you are, is center. But even that can get weird because I think Giannis is a center. So. Giannis. 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 I suck with names. Uh, I would be like, if he was a center and a modern day NBA center or Anthony Davis, like they're modern day and they're modern day centers, but they play the four. They can play four center, AD four center. So, so then they're just a big, and then you have a guard, a big and a wing. And then, is three positions. Positions are weird. But getting back to which series are Mickey Mouse series. <laughs> I have the Wizards, 76ers, the Knicks, Hawks, Nets, Celtics, and the Bucks Heat. Those are the Mickey Mouse series. Sounds good to you? <laughs> you want to... So, uh, what's the saying? One's not like the other or whatever. The the common 
theme to all those series is that they seem to be in one conference. And I think that that's funny. So if we want to be critical of anything, that's kind of all. That's the East. The Eastern Conference is a Mickey Mouse <laughs> conference till the second round. So, just gonna leave that out there. But I, yeah, conference is basketball, but you know, whatever. Let's get into the Mavs Clippers. We should um, have that argument one day. Yeah, we should. Um, and we're going to be down the line. I, I'm pretty sure we will on a certain topic lebron kd but oh, oh um, yes the Mavs clippers series this has been a back and forth series game five was yesterday the mavs won that the series is now three to two um overall thoughts in the series the Clippers, Luka Doncic is just this. This dude is different. Um, <laughs> they they try to play him so many ways. He's one of those guys that's going to get a lot of ball screens. So they try to drop coverage him, not really working out because he can just get inside, put you in jail, get to the floater. Um, they try to trap, but. They try to trap like around the third, fourth quarter, but he's good at just getting the ball out quick and just, and the Mavs just pass the ball around and find the open man, which is good. Uh, they really did this thing with switching. I. You don't like switching. switching. Thing, I, I, I like it in a bit of moderation, like. If you switch everything, 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 it's not going to be pretty. And it's just going to allow, like, all right, I'm picking that guy out, Reggie Jackson. You getting on Luca? It's a wrap for you. And the Mavs just went to that all time, all the time. Um, Subots actually has been playing good defense when he gets switched on Luca, but he's just making tough shots, and Luca could just get to his spots. Uh, but switch heavy defenses like the Miami Heat, the Brooklyn Nets, we're gonna talk about later. I like it because it get it at least has a body in front of you, but there's so many ways to attack it. Yeah, and it's just like it's just like mindless switching. And I, I'm not a big fan of all that, so it, it's been interesting. What are your overall thoughts on this series? There's like with switching, there's a way to do it, like the heat last year where it works, but when it doesn't work and you don't have the right team to do it, it clearly does not work. Um, I think it's just funny that uh I like anecdote anecdotal things and whatever that word is. Anecdotal. But I like nope. yeah. I like that this series is extremely series is extremely weird that no home team has won yeah and i i can't tell if that's because players got used to playing with no fans 
So now playing at home with fans cheering for you is uncomfortable and makes you nervous. And then you can kind of, if you're an away team, you can figure out a way to drown out fans. I like, I wonder if there's something with that, but it's just very odd. I think Luca, like the stars have pretty much been the star of the series. Like Luca, the first two games was dominant and then he's hurt. We think it at least like in game three, he was hurt. No, four injury in his neck. Um, game four, he was hurt. And you can see that he was hurt. Yeah. Because he was just making plays. That's just not like crisp. It's just not like Luca. Yeah. So yeah, and he was like, but, he was like struggling and like, eh, yeah. Eh. It's just crazy how one game and then game five he's just back and he just dropped like a yeah. Like I don't know what happened between game four and game five, but whatever happened, he was cured. Hmm. I'm, I'm glad it happened. For those yeah. who don't know, I am a Dallas Mavericks fan, but I am heavily critical this man knows it of my team so i do not hold back (laughs) on them at all yeah which makes sense because they're not exactly i don't know i don't want to say that because they're a smart team they're just an oddly managed roster that's how i'll phrase that because their roster construction is weird, but the coaching is great. And like what they did last night, I, I like Carlisle. Like what he did last night was extremely creative and won them the game. That's what See, happened. I don't even know if it was if it was good coaching. It's just more like, all right, let's switch something up. And let's just throw throw it out there and see if it sticks. So in game five, um, to combat basically Kawhi and Paul George getting to the rim at will, which was happening all series. If you're saying it's pandemic P, then you're just not watching the series. Um, Kawhi has just been annihilating this team (laughs) flat out. Paul George has been good this series. Like when those two are clicking, it's it's a wrap, um, and it really makes it hard for the Mavericks to um, battle with them. So so what was happening was Kawhi was just getting in the lane at will. Paul George was getting in the lane at will. Anyone was basically getting in the lane at will. So what they did was they inserted Boban Marjanovic as the starting center. They moved KP to the power forward spot, and they basically said, let's run zone. Let's run a 2-3 zone against the Clippers' small ball lineup. What went off in my head was, how the hell are you going to run zone with Boban on there when there's shooters all around? It's going to stretch Boban to the three-point line, and all the, all the Clippers have to do is just pass the ball around, pass the ball around, pass the ball around, and someone will be, will be open for three. That was happening. 
Clippers just wasn't making their threes early on to start. So the defense looked like genius. Um, and it actually wasn't bad because Boban was actually doing a good job, like closing out and all that. Uh, but it, it was just interesting. Um, and with Boban right. out there, it kind of like forced the Clippers to play more drop coverage. And and he was at least making them pay. He was an inside presence. So, yeah. The only reason why I'm going to say that it won you the game is because you could have started off with your regular lineup and then immediately have Kawhi and PG-13 automatically go to the paint and keep driving, and then it's a competitive first quarter. And the Clippers would have played the same brand of basketball that they did when you guys were in Dallas. And maybe it's 30-30 at the end of the first quarter. Instead, you go out there, you shock them, you confuse them. They don't know what they're doing. They're not hitting their shots. Tyloo kind of waits too long to call a timeout, in my opinion, because if I would have seen that lineup and went, oh, this is weird, this is different, I'm going to call a timeout, and now we're going to figure stuff out. Because you guys got off to a super hot start. They called a timeout, and then it was more back to normal where the Clippers were like, okay, we're going to pass the ball around. Yeah. That, like quick little mini false start that the Clippers did kind of kept you in the lead for the rest of the game. And like, that was the thing. Like it was kind of, you got off to this odd fast start and then closed out on the third quarter, like amazing, like what 25 to five run. And like, that was the game. Like it was the first five minutes and the last five minutes of the third quarter and that's that was it but and what was i gonna say it was it kind of got scary in the fourth quarter yeah because the offense wasn't looking crisp with even luca out there uh the clippers were uh like funneling in the paint they were getting stops and it was a point where i think marcus morris hit a three reggie jackson was hitting a three and then it was getting scary. It was getting close. I, I I texted you. I was like, I'm about to have a heart attack. Dude. Yeah. I'm about to have a heart attack. Um, but they got they got good stretches where they got stops. I think the biggest thing was the the Terrence Mann miss layup. <laughs> I mean, the Nicholas Batum miss layup. Terrence Mann, like Paul George is well, Paul George is like coming up the lane. Um, they closed off, the Mavericks closed off a driving lane with uh, Luca and Finney Smith, I believe. So Terrence Mann had an open lane, passed it. Luca came over and Batum was cutting in. And Batum had a good look, but he just missed it. But Mann should have took the shot, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say it's more of a missed shot on Mann because he had a wide open lane and decided to pass to Batum. But, you know, it's... it was a good pass, though. Yeah. But he passed it to Batum, and once that happened, whoever was trying to defend Man and Man had him on his like back shoulder and could have easily just laid it up with the left hand. Exactly. Instead, he just passed it, and the way he passed it to Batum, who 
the guy who was guarding man. I don't know exactly who it was, but it was, it was, the, uh, it was Luca. All he, all he did was turn around and put up his hands and immediately contested the Batum shot. And that made it a difficult shot. And that sealed the game. Like if man makes that layup, I don't know what happens because it would have been weird just because what it would have been like 102, 103, right? It would be like, yeah, they would just be down one and then they just play yeah. the foul game and then all they have to really do is just make a three to, to yeah. you know, get back tied or something like that. But yeah. So Batu misses, I'm looking at the play rundown. Batu misses two point layup three feet away. The score is 101, 100. So Clippers have the lead. They'd be that would force Luca to hit a game winner, essentially, because there was nine seconds left. And that can go either great or poor. Um, yeah. But I trust Luca in taking and making those shots. Um, who I will give a nice, nice shout out to is Dorian Finney. Smith multiple steals down the stretch he had five steals in the game he picked off some passes from Paul George was doing a good job on Kawhi Leonard Kawhi Leonard was hold to like seven of 19 field goal shooting and the Mavs like kind of like double teamed him very early on within that zone so it just forced the ball out of Kawhi's hands and he was forced to take like some pretty contested shots Mm-hmm. Um, and Kawhi showed he was human, but Dorian Finney-Smith really came down clutch with defense um, to win this game, which I'm yeah. so glad for. <laughs> yeah, he had a defensive rating of 102, which is pretty good. He had the lowest defensive rating, or yeah, lowest defensive rating. I don't because the defensive spectrum is. Like, is it lowest or highest defensive rating? Because it's better that it's lower. You know what I mean? It's better that it's lower. Yeah. So, so 102, really good. And he has the lowest defensive rating in the game. Terrence Mann also is 102, but only played 15 minutes. So Terrence Mann is really, really good. Oh, I love Terrence Mann. He's great. Um, But, yeah, that's... Finney Smith is out there to hit an occasional corner three if he can and guard everything. And if he does that, you'll be fine. Like, yeah, he's more so just three and D. Um, I do yeah. not trust that man taking the ball and driving to the rim. Not no, he <laughs> needs to tighten up that handle, but he's really trying out there on defense and, that's something we really need because we need at least not to completely stop Kawhi or Paul George, but more so slow them down, make them take tough shots and just live with the results. Um, yeah, don't let them get to the lane. And that's the main sure. thing that they've been doing. So yeah. there you go. We'll take that any day. Um, One more thing. I think I got I – got, I got heated with this, man. Um, I got to get on Chris Stapps, man. Like, I, I don't know what they do now, like, with Chris Stapps, because at this point, it's just like, what game are we going to get from you? 
um, there's this the point in the game. I think it was the, the second quarter. He had eight points, three for six field goal shooting. He had a clutch three. Um, but it was just this one exact play. He had a post up on Rondo. He had a post up on Rondo. He got a switch post up on Rondo. Um, Nicholas Batum was like stunting KP so he doesn't like drive middle and like Zubats was nearby. Um, they didn't want KP to get middle. Okay, that's fair. But this man took a contested mid-range shot on Rajan Rondo. You want to know how much seconds was left on the shot clock? I actually don't remember. No. I remember the play, but I don't remember the shot clock. It was 17. Okay. I would say, you know what? Five seconds, four seconds left on the shot clock. All right. That's that's a good shot. Get a shot up at least. There's 17, sh- 17 seconds left on the shot clock. You have Rondo. You're 7'3". Rondo is a good six foot three. I would, I would say six foot three. I'm not sure what the height is for him. He's seven, three. You're bailing him out. All you do, there's the lane you have to do is just drive left, spin on Rondo and dunk it or lay it home. He's capable of that. All you have to do is just spin going left. I mean, drive left, spin, lay up or dunk. And you can even get a foul out of that. Just put the ball on the floor. He takes a turnaround jumper with 17 seconds on a shot clock. And I'm just like, what the F? <laughs> I, what, am, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say with that? Because <laughs> what it's Rondo. I mean, Rondo's a good defender and he was he was doing a good job on posting on defending the post up, but you can at least like drive left and, and like get away from like the help defense. Cause that lane going left was open. Just spin on him and dunk, just put the ball on the floor and take it to the rim. This is, this is the sort of plays where I'm just like, why are we paying you this much money? If you can't make the defense pay. Your selling point is that you're 7-3 and you're supposed to be a scorer. What's happening here? I think he thinks that he's really tall and he can shoot over everybody. But then he takes these odd shots that don't really make sense early in the shot clock. So I don't know. I feel like he needs... Like, if, if you're going to let Rondo post, like, guard you in the post, that should be an easy two points. Like, you should if, – if the Clippers are going to switch, you want the best option other than anybody switching on to Luka is for a guard to switch on to KP so he could just kind of post up five feet in front of the basket and do a turnaround jumper or keep Mm -hmm. posting up and get to the paint, but to just kind of like go to the three point stance, jab, jab, shoot. That's not, that's not a winning possession. So my problem is just, he doesn't seem like he's willing 
to put the ball down, drive in, and attack. He, he's got to be put in the gym, man. If he's not coming back next season and just – if he still looks frail and can't post up anyone, you got to – he has to go, man. I want to. I want him to come back next season and looking like he can. He can knock out like Ivan Drago from Rocky in a fight. That's how I want him to look like. But he even had a play like a few um, games ago where it was just a post up on Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson. Yeah, Reggie Jackson's worse than Rondo. That's the man who they're seeking to <laughs> get a switch on. That's the attacking him. matchup. Yeah. How the hell can't you take advantage of that? It's it's mind-boggling to me. And it's just like, what is Carlisle supposed to do? Like, Carlisle, he raves so much about KP. That's fine. You yeah. want to keep your stars happy. You want to rave about them. But damn, what am I supposed to do if you can't post up a guy? You you're kind of inconsistent. You can't really drive by the defense. Your handle is kind of suspect. And you're supposed to be the second guy. The least you can do is if you can't, like, back in, at least, like, hit those shots. Because it's a mismatch. It's the idea of taking advantage of mismatches. And he, you would think he's really good at it, but he's not. And as a Knicks fan, he's always been like that. So, yeah. Really? Yeah. That was that was my issue when, like, he was playing. And during his rookie year, I was like, okay, sure. It's your rookie year. You're a little skinny. You haven't figured out the NBA game yet. But you would get switches on him. And he would kind of just post, turn, and take a seven foot, seventeen footer, and no poster, just three point stance, jab, jab, shoot. And so that kind of just discouraged me. And then it was the same thing, like every year he was here. So I don't know, man. It's kind of. He's not going to change. See, but like, that's his game. So, either get a better, like, all right. Kevin Durant has that game where he and Carmelo Anthony, where they can take it on the wing in the mid range, jab, jab, shoot over you. But they both can post you up and turn around and do the whole Dirk shot. KP doesn't have that. And so if KP could at least do that in the sense of where he's posting you up and then he's turning for an easier shot to the right or to the left and to whatever turn he wants to get to. If he could just post instead of taking a face-up 17-footer, post and take a turnaround 10-footer, I think he'd be much happier, but he doesn't do that. Like, like it should be so easy. Like, you know how in 2K, where you click a quick ISO play, when you get, like, that right mismatch on the post? Mm-hmm. Why can't you just 
give it to him and everybody goes to the other side. Like no help defense. And if there's a help defense, they have to help from like a Luca or a Tim Hardaway. And then he can pass out of it. So what do you like? It's simple offense that I don't get why he doesn't do. They, they do do that. Like they give him those um KP post-ups. They give him those sort of plays. They do try and get it to him, but he just don't take advantage of it. And I think Carlisle's kind of drifting away from that because you want to value every possession in the playoffs. And if you're not getting yeah. this guy, this guy can't like get a easy bucket off a mismatch. What the what 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 can you do? So yeah. he's kind of fizzling out. He's more so floor spacing. Uh, they really didn't go to him as much in the post this game. Um, the shooting splits does look good, but eight points. But they really wasn't getting him involved because I don't think Carlisle really trusts him to put the ball in his hands and say, KP, go get us a bucket. Yeah. So all that falls now on Luca. Luca, go get us a bucket. THJ, kind of, go get us a bucket when um, – you get set up for a three or something, or he can come off, uh, like he can attack closeouts, get in the lane, shoot his floater, or even sometimes they get in a rim. I think the first play he tried to like dunk it. It was pretty funny. I'm just like, yeah. that's the THJ that I want. That's the THJ that's aggressive. Exactly. And when you look at it, like THJ was a complimentary piece with KP. KP was yes. the main prize in that trade. So, it, it's really like getting to me. Um, yeah, I think if if Tim Hardaway Jr. is really outplaying KP in this series, it gets weird. Because my thing is the Mavs should have done more experimenting in the regular season, but also this is a weird regular season. And then on top of that, they were in a weird playoff kind of battle to figure things out. So if they would have had more of a, like next season, I would like to see this because next season, there should be no doubt that they will make the playoffs. And mm-hmm. so I would like them to experiment more with KP, like just go out and be like, all right, Luca, you know what your main goal of today's game is to be get KP going, see how get him used to post up turnarounds and gains and, figure it out kind of what the bucks did with their defense this year i want the mavericks to do that with kp like experiment see what's going on like if you have a game against the sacramento kings just say screw it kp i want you to go out there and drop 30 on turnaround post-ups on richard holmes and richard holmes is, is a great defender huh rashawn rashawn holmes I'm not good with names. Common section going to get on you, man. Like, but like, they're they're I, going. I I I am bad with names. That will be my first thing. But I'm just saying that if you're up against the Kings and he, Holmes is a good defender, I'll stick to the last name because that'll be easier. Because I almost <laughs> messed up again. Like, Holmes is a good defender, and just let KP take, like, 20 shots and see what happens. Just because, like, 
the regular season when you're a team that's going to go to the playoffs, but then again, you're in the West, so it's hard. But mm-hmm. to figure out what you want to do in the playoffs. And if KP can figure out a role on his in the offense, that would be the time to figure out what his role is. Because I feel like now you're moving away from him because it doesn't fit the series, but when it should, because the Clippers just want to go small. And if they go small, you should be able to punish them with not Boban, but with KP. And exactly. instead, you have to throw in Boban. So, Which I'm not mad at letting Boban play because oh, yeah. when he gets the ball, he has that gravity where he just draws help defense because he's, he's big and he can make that little hook shot that he does, that turnaround hook shot. Yeah. Um, I just I just need more from KP and it's not even just all offense it's also defensively too like I need to see like I need more from him in like drop coverage stuff I need more from him I need way more from him if he wants to play at the level of the screener um yeah. even on switches like they, they just pick and roll KP and Kawhi and Paul George they just get into him it's like they don't well, care about his size. So it's like this this is a bad series for KP defensively. Like playing against like a Kawhi and Paul George, it it's a bad matchup for him cuz he can't drop and both of them are incredible athletes that are incredibly strong so like you can't really unless you foul them you can't push them off their drive so it's kind of hard to as a big to play defense against them so if you look at his defense in this series and go all right he's a horrible defender i feel like this is just the wrong series for that because the clippers perfectly offensively match up against what KP's good at. And so if he because he can't drop cuz he can't drop cuz Kawhi, Paul George still hit a three. He can't blitz them because then he's not quick enough to recover. If it's a switch, he's not stronger than them nor is he like the small guy is usually going to get the foul. So if he nudges them just a little, it's going to be a foul and then it's free throws. So it's a bad position for him to be defensively in this series. So I feel like it's issue. It's but then, yeah, it's it's it sucks for him that he's in that series. The thing is, just in the bubble, it seemed like the right series for him. Like the bubble version of KP was just that's that's who we need. Yeah. Uh, but now it's all kind of different. But if you want to look at like the last Clippers team, like they had to throw out Montrez Harrell out there. I don't remember. They ha- I think they had Zubat starting at center. So you could use drop coverage because now you're guarding the pick and roll and Harrell and Zubat can't stretch the floor. So it's a lot easier to go into drop coverage. Switching. I feel like they didn't probably didn't switch him that much. I don't really remember, but like it's different. 
because now they're going small and who's their center right now? Morris? Marcus Morris. Um, Batum, like... Batum. Those are the, the, the bigs there. Um, it's just we got to make them pay for all that. I mean, small ball, just five-out offense... You're gonna get you're gonna and this is the best three point shooting team in the league. So yeah. Uh, so also, props to Reggie Jackson, man. That man turned into Ray Allen. This well, <laughs> well all right. Reason all that. Uh, all right. Reggie Jackson is who you want to beat you, Nick. That's because. If Reggie Jackson is taking 12 threes, usually that's good. Because what 20 points last game. And he he was making some clutch ones too. It was yeah. <laughs> but how often is Reggie Jackson gonna do that? The last time I saw Reggie Jackson be good was in OKC. So ooh, ooh, ooh. yeah. So I mean, like, what do you like he has a better shot than he did in OKC now, so that's good. But still, like Reggie Jackson got cut last year. It was by the Pistons, right? Yeah. Oh man. So what if if do you want Kawhi and Paul George beating you in order to guard Reggie Jackson better? Or just let Reggie Jackson take his threes? That's that's so, my opinion on that. With the Clippers, it's kind of hard to pick and choose because you know that they're the best three-point shooting team in the league yeah and then two of the best shot creators in the league um so you pick your poison it's either get beat by the role players from three or get beat by Kawhi and Paul George who's just gonna carve up your defense get inside Kawhi's gonna get his mid-range shots he's gonna bully you inside paul george is going to get his uh pull-up shots and he was getting into the rim too um and there's going to be stars yeah uh, so. but you know they're going to be stars you don't know reggie jackson is going to go six for 12 so so i think that's the mavs like um mindset now is just all right protect the rim yeah make it bit easy with the zone for paul george and Kawhi leonard and we're just going to have them pass the ball around and have their role players beat us. Fair. Because even if that, like if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are great, but their game feeds through them getting to the rim and getting to where they want to get. So if you want to stop them from getting to the rim and force them to take a bunch of pull-up threes... I feel like that's a better way to defend them too. Like they can make them one game or a lot of games, but again, if Kawhi is getting to the rim, that's going to filter to his three point shot. And now he's unguardable. So just now let him be him. Well, don't let him be him and get to the rim. That's what I meant by that. That's yeah. Um, but now this series is in the Dallas Mavericks hands, three to two. Do you think the Clippers can get back 
I I think that they can force a game seven and it just goes goes there. If they lose in the first round, uh, Twitter is going to blow up. And oh. I wouldn't want to be a Clippers fan. And I would be and I'm a Mavs fan. I 100 percent feel sorry for Clippers fans if they lose in the first. I I've I've already made this claim to you, but uh Clippers leave. I mean Clippers lose. Kawhi will most likely leave. Like Paul George is signed up. Kawhi is not. And I think there's many teams that are a star away, like Knicks. We're going to get into them, I think, later, like for a little bit. If they, if Randall isn't your main guy, maybe they win. Jimmy Butler in the Heat. Jimmy Butler is a great defender. His offense was put on display by the Bucks and like he's a great offensive player, but you don't want him to carry the team. Like you need to help him out a lot more. And it's Jimmy Butler's an odd offensive player. Like he's good, but his bad can be very weird because he has no three point shot. So it's like he's in a weird situation. You add Kawhi to that team, and that's a whole different team, bro. I was randomly talking to my Hawks friend when we were watching the Knicks and Hawks game together. And we were like, it was a commercial break and we were randomly talking about it. And I was like, yeah, Kawhi, if the Clippers lose in the first round, I could see Kawhi leave or at least attempt to leave and see what's out there. And I was like, I feel like the Heat is the best destination and the Knicks would be second. You know, he said to me, he said, a sign and trade with the Golden State Warriors sending Andrew Wiggins to the Clippers. And in my mind, that sounded crazy, the first thought. But then it did not as I thought it out because the whole idea is that he's a West Coast kid. He loves the West. Kawhi wants to stay out West. He wants to stay by his home. San Francisco is kind of far, but it's California. Stephen Curry is Stephen Curry. Draymond Green is Draymond Green, and you throw clay. I think I would cry because that team would probably win the NBA Finals. But I'm just saying, if he wants to get crazy and, like, look, I'm not going to say that this is a hot take that Kawhi Leonard is going to the Golden State Warriors, but I'm just saying that I'm a person that likes to think of very creative with my sports stuff. Like, if you could be the most creative possible, you should do it. Like, do some wild schemes. Kawhi Leonard to the Golden State Warriors is the wildest thing that I have heard so far randomly for no reason but is the most perfect thing that i've heard in a long time oh god because I, I, like, I, like 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 theory so, in theory 
I wouldn't mind Steph, Kawhi, Draymond Green. Clay? Would, Clay. That's a I beautiful I would love game. it. That would be the ultimate bounce back. You know but, what's crazy? When they had Kevin Durant, their ball movement was Spurs-esque. Like, it was beautiful. It was Kawhi on the Spurs with Tim Duncan ball movement and Tony Parker. And you were like, oh, gosh. It's that Spurs team that made it to two finals and lost to the Heat and beat the Heat. It had that type of ball movement. So Kawhi going to a pretty similar team where he found his not most success because Toronto, but where he started his ascension to what top five NBA player in the league. Like imagine going back to that system and what he can do now as a more complete player. So probably to fix up that trade a bit, if it's a sign in trade Wiggins, uh, that warriors, this year's pick no well yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to think of what did what did the warriors get for kevin durant in their side and trade it was delo and a first round pick right like off the top of my head that's what it was so are we thinking wiggins and a future first round pick and that's it Cause it's comparable. Like if you want to say that conversation, hmm? how are we in this conversation? Look, if Kawhi leaves this Clippers franchise, it should be it should be put to Seattle. Move That'd the Clippers awesome. to Seattle because they. But I don't see Kawhi leaving. I know Miami Heat fans right now are probably like, I am I am praying, I am praying, I am hoping that they get beat in the first round. Kawhi gets disgruntled and wants to leave. The whole San Antonio Spurs debacle with Kawhi was in motivation to get to LA. This man yeah. had to go to Toronto, win a championship, but his main destination was always LA. Same with Paul George. I don't, I, and I know your thing is just like, okay, he he wants to win. I think he's comfortable in LA. I don't think there's pressure on him to say, all right, we, we need to win. There's pressure on Paul George. Um, Kawhi is a two-time champion. I mean, he's a winner. He's a proven winner. I mean, he, he don't have to get up and just move because they lost. They just got to bounce back next season and go. Um, I think you're dying to say something right now. Go ahead. <laughs> Look, what the reason why I feel like I can say that and feel confident about it is because we don't know much about Kawhi Leonard. Like everybody knew Kevin Durant was leaving OKC because his goal was to be better than LeBron James, right? Like speaking out as a non-biased person and we're not going to get into that but his goal was to get rings win championships so that he could have validation that he is as good or if 
better than LeBron James, right? Like that was his goal to leave OKC and go to the Warriors, right? It's what's, we know nothing about Kawhi and if he aspires to be better than LeBron James or Kevin Durant, because he's not. And so if he wants to be, where should he go to maximize his opportunity? And it's not the Clippers. If they lose in the first round, it's 100% not the Clippers. Because you want to know what happens next season? They're going to play the Suns. They're going to play the Mavericks. They could play the Lakers. They could play the Jazz. Like, if you can't beat the Mavericks, you're not beating any of these other teams. <sighs> and two back-to-back um, debacles in the playoffs. I mean... I forgot the Denver Nuggets clearly losing to them last year so what do you what do you do in Kawhi do you want to win or do you want to stay at home it's just the whole motivation that he he did all this from leaving a franchise like the Spurs like who is leaving I shouldn't say that but him and Pop like had a relationship Pop like they built they built him they literally did, because he was nothing when he came out of San Diego. Like he was, he was he just was a, a defender. Raw, he was a raw player, um, and he went through. He got better as a player. Um, the whole motivation was just, I want to be in LA. Uh, I want to be home. I want that spotlight. I want my, I guess my own team. I, I don't, whatever. <laughs> but he just wanted to be in LA. I don't even I don't even think he really wanted to be in Toronto, but you know, the Spurs were just like, all right, ship him there. Let's ship him to yeah. another country just to mess with his head. <laughs> they clearly um, did not. And he won a championship. So like at that point, he has two two championships, finals MVP. He's already known as one of the best small forwards in the league. He's, he's damn he's near third player. Whatever you so, well, look. want to write, but it's just like for him, it's just like I, all right, we lost, but I want to be here, and I don't want to be like moving around and all that. I want to be home. I want to be here. I already won championships. I don't have to go hunting for championships now. That's my whole take on it. But you know, no, I, I, I think you're yeah. right. I think you're right. But again, I think my mindset would be different and my mindset would be, all right, where can I go to win? I want to win. And that's what basketball is all about. Basketball isn't about staying at home. Basketball is about going to get rings. He handpicked Paul George, didn't he, right? Yeah, which was... Not I'm smart. But... I want Paul George too. Well, so technically, he was the second option. He wanted KD first, which makes sense. Yeah. And that team, bro, KD and Kawhi would have been like the most beautiful thing ever. But you know, whatever. Imagine that in this series, I would not be happy. So I'm glad that didn't happen. It would be a sweep. It'd be over. I'm sorry, but it it'd be done. We at least get. One to two games. One to two games. No. One, one to two games. All right, Katie fanboy. 
Um, no. But let, let's get away from that trade talk and let's just finish up here with the Mavs series. Um, how do you think the Clippers bounce back here? Letting Kawhi be Kawhi. Just letting him go off. They're probably so they're probably like, gonna run Boban out. Hmm? How do you combat Liddy the zone basically for the Mavs? Um I think they'd just be more prepared for it now. Like you saw it. I think the reason why the zone worked is because it shocked them. Clippers were not ready for that. So I think now that they've seen it they can kind of figure it out i think what they're gonna do is overload sides and get cutters like what they're trying to do with batum and he would cut back door and get a layup and i think they're gonna try to do that and move boban out of the paint so that you can get a cutter back door and then kind of attack kp because you would rather attack kp than boban but i feel like i don't have much trust in lou to make adjustments as I mean, a by going small ball. I have to give him that fair. Yeah. Adjustment. Tyloo hasn't in, been in game three. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, he didn't make adjustments till game three. So in my mind, that's horrible because there was simple solutions for game one and two, but he waited. So but, but way it's just their scheme up until this point, you really don't want to. Because if you're in the playoffs now and then you want to try something new, that's usually really going to go really, really bad if you want to try something new. So it's just mostly stick with the switching. I don't. I think Zubats actually was playing good defense on Luca. He was. Luca was just knocking out oh, the shots. He didn't think, have to face him one on one. Yeah. That was yeah. that was the thing that I noticed in game in the last game in game five, where in one and two. Zubach would be left on an island with Luca compared to this game where, oh, Zubach is in the pick and roll. We're going to blitz. And then once we blitz, instead of having, you know, Zubach stay up at the three point line, he's going to drop back. And whoever was the original person guarding Luca would just run up. So it'd be a quick blitz. Zubach runs back. So, like, they would figure it out. And unless Luca could do a quick pass out to the roller, it would work and it worked, which is as smart. It's switching without switching. You think this goes to a game seven or the Mavs close it on their home turf? If Luca drops 40 with 10 assists again, they might win it. But like, KP needs to just do more. Like if KP has a game like ten, like last night, I don't think they win and it goes to game seven and then it's a toss up. But if KP can give you like 15 and Tim Hardaway Jr. can play the same way he's been playing, I'd, I'd say you guys could win it. You need to control Kawhi and PG and they did a good job of doing that last game. Yeah, they did a good job, I believe slowing them down they still yeah. got their points but they at least made it a bit harder i feel like this may go to seven games um and i've always said for the mavericks to win this 
they have to slow down at least Kawhi or Paul George, and it relies on the role players knocking down threes. A healthy Luka is going to destroy their defense. It's going to happen. At the end of the day, if he's drawing help defense and he has to kick it out to Finney Smith, KP, THJ, or Brunson and Richardson and all that, they got to make shots. And it comes yeah. down to all just them. Um, I don't know what we'll get from Chris Stapp's next game. Uh, THJ, what was his shooting? Like six for 19. But it Yeah, he like didn't have a great that, shooting night. Yeah. Six for 19, yeah. He was making some good shots to um, some clutch shots. Dorian Finney-Smith was making some shots too. They just need their shooting to stay consistent. And if they can go out like next game, drop 15 to 23s, one, two, three, Cancun, and the Clippers are gone. But And Kawhi to San Francisco. <laughs> I'm going to stick with that till he resigns. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know what? Look, when I dream, I dream big. Okay. I'm not saying it's that's not how I'm rolling. Free agency and all that is just so much unpredictable. So much can happen. Who the, who the hell knows? Maybe Kawhi's being like, you know what? I like this OKC team. I might go to OKC. Hell no. Hey, Why? I like their young roster or something. We don't know. <laughs> but no. Um, no. I, I know. It's, it's just hypothetical throwing it out there. Gonna go but, to the Nets. Bro, what? What? Y'all run him at center? Like yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> I'd I rock with that. Bro, I want to be creative as possible. I'd rock with Kevin Durant as your center and Kawhi as your power forward. Kyrie no. Irving, James Harden, and Joe Harris. Let's go. Run Never. it back. But I feel like this will go to game seven. This Mavs team is young. Um, and a young team having to close out a team like the Clippers, that's uh, that's a tough task there. Um, is it though? I, huh? I, like, I feel like it is. Um, I feel like it is because of Kawhi Leonard, but you take Kawhi Leonard off that team and it's not a tough task. Eh, true. But we'll leave it off there. Um, we'll end off this Mavs Clippers block for now. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back for block three, and we'll talk about a little bit of the Knicks-Hawks, a uh, little bit of the Lakers-Suns and the Blazers-Nuggets, and then we're going to go into the main event later on. So there This we go. is quickly going to turn into a Mavs podcast, isn't it? And we are back in it. We are going to be going into the Knicks-Hawks series, which ended yesterday. Uh, the Hawks ended up winning the series 3-1. to one, uh, And it was in a pretty sad close <laughs> to the Knicks season. Um, any thoughts on the Knicks and Hawks? Uh, Julius Randle shot under 30% from the series. So, yeah, yeah, that's a statement. Um, 
probably social media is not blowing him up because they blew I am too. Pascal Siakam. <laughs> yeah, they I don't know. They blew up playoff P, but also Paul George was like, I'm awesome in the playoffs. And then hasn't been great. Um, but yeah, imagine shooting under 30% as you are about to be named to an all NBA team. So that's an interesting fact, I would say. I would equal that is a big correlation to losing against the Hawks, I would say. Um, yeah, shooting under 30% is unacceptable in the playoffs. So that's not great. Uh, they, see, what I was, because um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, was that um, the Hawks basically just let Julius Randle shoot his step back yeah. mid shots, his going baseline middies. Um, if he got anywhere near the paint, near the rim, the Hawks were just showing Clint Capella early. And they and if he gets in, he's going to drive into his own double team. So they played him tight. They had like DeAndre Hunter, John Collins. They even when Trey Young even got switched on to him. But as long as they played up tight and closed the airspace of Julius Randle, um, and they bring over that help defender, they were completely fine with that. So he kind of resorted into his step back mid range shots and he couldn't make decisions on the fly, which I think really killed him this series. And the Knicks three point shooters weren't, weren't good. Yeah, no. So that's another aspect that kind of killed the Knicks here. They shot, they shot 34% from three. Which isn't like horrible, but it's it's, it like could be better. It could be a lot better. What uh, Hawk shot thirty six. Thirty six. Yeah. So like, it's not a crazy amount better. But the Hawks killed him in like the mid range and near like I think more so in the mid range. Uh, R.J. Barrett, inconsistent play. I, I get it. He's young. It's his first playoff series. Um, this yeah. is a, this is the first playoff series for this entire team. So, also the Hawks, but uh, I would say I, you can't really be mad at RJ. It's his first playoff series. What is he like? Twenty? Let me make sure I'm yeah, right on that. Um, but I he's think 20. we're expecting more because he's that second option, basically. Yeah, and he improved his three point shooting this season, and I think that's just a common theme. Like RJ you Barrett improved on it. shooting. RJ improved his three point shooting, and that basically killed him. Bam Adebayo improved his mid range shot. That kind of killed him in the Heat series. Um, there was another. There was another guy. I think. Forgetting. 
But anyway, um, I think that was a common series where guys were just not hitting shots. Oh yeah, Julius Randle. <laughs> he was um, hitting some tough shots in the regular season. He was like the bulk of the Knicks offense and those shots were not falling consistently this time around. So, and he wasn't really getting much to the rim because of how the Hawks were playing him. And he was kind of intimidated by Clint Capella uh, and having to navigate out those double, those double teams. So it, it was a tough series and it didn't help also that they had zero answer for Trey Young. <laughs> Oh, who really has many answers for Trey Young? But also, I would want to note that something I found very interesting in this series is that they did not attack Trey Young because I feel like the media's perception of Trey Young was that, okay, when we get to the playoffs, You're going to be great offensively, but your defensive shortcomings will be the downfall of your team, right? Like similar to kind of like, I don't want to say Curry, but early Curry before the MVPs and all that, he had, you could kind of attack him on, you know, on defense and the teams that he was facing like the Denver early, like Ty Lawson, Denver nuggets and those, and those, you know, Mike Conley, Paul Gasol, no, Marcus all nug uh, Grizzlies. Like those teams, they didn't have players to kind of go at Curry. But then when you got to the OKC's, and Russell Westbrook was going at him every game and they were getting him switched on Kevin Durant. You kind of saw the shortcomings. The Knicks didn't, I thought the Knicks would be able to attack him a little bit more. And I was surprised they didn't ISO him. Well, they kind of brought in Rose to be that guy to attack mm-hmm. Trey. I'm pretty sure they, uh, the, the Hawks, if I can remember, they more so like try and hide him on like a, a Reggie Bullock or something like that. Yeah, they, they try do. and hide. Yeah, and the Hawks are a team that like switch in moderation. They're not going to go yeah. crazy. So Which is it's kind of hard to say here, Reggie Bullock. Can you attack Trey Young? No, no, no. That's happen? that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying I'm saying if like. I thought Julius Randle and RJ would be like, okay, you know how when Luca goes, all right, whoever Pat Bev is guarding, you get over here, you set the screen, switch, I want Pat Bev. Like that's what was Luca was doing. He was calling out people on the Clippers and going, I want you to guard me because you too small and I'm going to body you and it's over. I thought they would do something like that. Like Reggie Bullock, get over here set this screen, set a good screen so that it forces the switch. And now trades on RJ, ISO, and I would have liked to see that. Because... Wait, go ahead. No, like, that would have been a good strategy. And I think 
I don't know if that changes the game, but you're putting Trey Young in more difficult situations on defense. And I feel like they didn't put him in difficult situations on defense. And they're about to play Ben Simmons. And I I feel like Ben Simmons is probably going to annihilate him. And Tobias Harris, they're going to figure out ways to get switches where Tobias is being guarded by Trey Young. Um, so this is where I would say Clint Capella is low key to MVP of this series. Mm-hmm. Um, the I Knicks agree. really don't have a guy where you can say, "Here, um, can you attack this mismatch? Can you get to the rim and score?" I mean, they were getting that with um Rose. Barrett would attack closeouts, but Clint Capella's there and he's like even quickly did a little bit of that where he would like do his little stop and floater game before he got to Capella. And I thought that was really good. In this series, which is odd. Hmm? His floaters really wasn't dropping this series, which was odd. Yeah. But yeah. But he's also getting. Yeah, true. The, Hawk, the Hawks getting Clint Capella was best move because he saves their defense. Yeah. Like, really, from like a on-paper standpoint, this isn't really a defensive team, but Capella's there to like clean up all the mistakes, and he's perfect at that. They keep him in the paint. They have him playing a, uh, like, a, like a sort of drop. He can also play at the level of the screen, um, and he's versatile like that. And he just serves as that rim protector. I just feel like, yeah, he was, he was low key the MVP of this series. Oh, he was, I think like, obviously you can point to Trey and be like, yeah, he was the best player on the court and he was doing his stuff, but you take out, you take up, you take out Capella and that defense doesn't work on Randall. Cause now Randall isn't scared to get to the paint. Yeah, he was attacking John Collins when he was in and he was yeah. playing with Capella. He's not afraid of um, Collins. He will go in and drive it in on him. He don't yeah, care. but he's afraid Capella. of Capella. Yeah. And like, and then the whole thing that I'm talking about with attacking Trey Young on defense, if Capella's standing around in the paint, like, yeah, you can get by Trey real easy, but now you got to get past Capella. And you're not going to face a good outcome usually with that. So I forget who said it, but I think it was Chris Vernon on the Mismatch Ringer podcast who said Clint Capella is Rudy Gobert East. I thought that was a pretty good. I thought thought that was like, I heard that and I was like, ooh, you're onto something. I would say that because also – Trey Young was destroying the Knicks with floaters. Yeah. And that Trey Young, Clint Capella pick and roll, the Knicks kind of have to play in a drop because Capella is a lob threat. He's a yeah. rim roller. He has the gravity to just uh, sink, sink and help defense off of screens. So the Knicks kind of have to play in a drop to contain Capella. And what that basically opened up is, all right, Trey coming down, I'm putting you in jail, and you're going to watch me hit this floater. Yep. 
that's exactly what he did. And which like that all the time. Yeah. So random point. I really don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but that's what Luca kind of does. Exactly. And imagine Luca against Rudy Gobert. If Rudy Gobert's dropping and he's just throwing up little lobs and hitting threes because RJ's going. I mean, not RJ. Ja is going off. Offensively against the Jazz. I am very if if the Mavericks win. Luca is about to destroy some reputations, and it it will be very interesting. Ja has that floater, and that's kind of how you combat the Rudy Gobert um, drop. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying Lucas is better, and he's a better three point shooter. Because if you're dropping, and now one of my favorite things that Luca does, I just learned this new word basketball term again from a ringer thing with uh j kyle Mann. he did a video on cp3 where he snakes the pick and roll like the way it's called a snake where you get the pick and then instead of going to the left like you snake back and then you get the defender on your opposite back shoulder and then cp3 drives or hits like a pullback like fader mm-hmm. luca That's- does that but instead of driving, he like does a U-turn and goes to the three-point line. And so when you drop off now, you're like, oh, he's going to snake. And then he doesn't snake. Then he U-turns. And now he has a wide open three. And I saw him do that like four times last night. And I was like, yeah. that's kind of beautiful in a way. Like he's like just playing. So imagine that against Rudy Gobert. Very interesting. But for this series, for... Hawks Knicks. They don't they don't have a Luca. They don't have a Jod. They don't have a Trey. Like they need someone to take over. And Knicks will have a lot of cap space. So my thing is is that they and that leads to the point of what's next for the Knicks. Uh I brought up the name DeMar DeRozan. Uh, I don't know if that's something that is a yay or nay. They that's a yay. Of, that's a yay. Okay. I'm glad I'm not plugging. <laughs> um, they kind of need like a reliable point guard. They can kind of um, fix up quickly and see how that goes. Maybe they get rid of another Kina and um, Peyton, but they kind of need that reliable point guard for for the future to start. Um, yeah, I would like Mar DeRozan like on his team as that score slash playmaker because Demar's got better as a playmaker. Um, there, there's the defensive issues, but I feel like you can kind of work with that, especially if they yeah. next more so geared towards team defense. Uh, and they have rim protection, so they focus on rim protection more than anything. Yeah. So it's you, more so building. You go up from here. Yeah. You you need a bucket. The, the Knicks need someone who can get a bucket. 
when Randall is shooting under 30% and acting like last year's Knicks Randall and running around like a chicken without a head. So you need someone who could just calm the offense down and get you a bucket. And like, I'm going to say, if you were to say that to most Knicks fans, they would freak out and be very crazy and not excited. But as a non-biased more not basketball intelligence, but understanding than most people. Oh gosh, this is going to come off horrible for someone who really likes basketball and loves to study the game. DeMar DeRozan is a perfect fit for this team for someone who's listening to ESPN every day and thinks DeMar DeRozan isn't that good because he's, got beat by LeBron James a bunch of times in Toronto and the Spurs haven't played great, won't understand what he does into the fit of the Knicks team. If you look at it, Knicks need someone who can get a bucket and that would be it. And then you put Randall as your second scorer. DeMar DeRozan, I'm going to look up DeMar DeRozan's stats, but he can get out there and give you 20 a night. He can give you a good, on his next team, a good 20 a night, six assists. And you kind of need that guy who can can give you some good playmaking next to Randall. Those are your two guys. So DeMar Randall will be your first, second options. RJ will be the third as he continues to grow as a player. Um, and you, the only thing you can do is just build up from here. Like fourth seed, the Knicks really wasn't looked to be like that. Like I expected his team to become even better as a defensive team, but I didn't expect them to be number one right out the gates, which was impressive. I already expected them to be great defensively, but that was going to take some time. But it was just amazing to see how in tune and in sync this team was defensively yeah. through the season. So they shattered expectations. You can only go up from here. Yeah. Uh, and then like DeMar, like I think I saw a Bleach Report notification last night that Knicks could have up to like $50 million in cap space. DeMar DeRozan could take 25 of that and I'd be okay. Maybe less, but then I would think you need a playmaking guard. Cause then say you keep Rosen quickly. They're not playmakers more shot creators and can get their own shot. And when they get their own shot, they can pass it out to get other people's shots. But you want someone who can run an offense. It's not going to happen. But if Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan were the key signings this offseason, the Knicks are the fourth seed again, and they probably win a playoff series. Interesting. They probably, they probably maybe get one, but if they could just throw out contracts at those two, call it a day, I'd be fine with that. Because then Ball's your fourth option, but the primary playmaker, Randall and Randall and Damar are both playmakers in their own right. And RJ's improving. There's ball movement. There's shooting. I'd be very happy. Like, 
if that happened, I'd be extremely optimistic. And Mitchell Robinson coming back. Mm, yeah. You need him healthy. Um, yeah, for sure. And coming down on the fouls. I feel like he was doing a good job, but he kind of picked up some old habits. But good young center. Um, I hope he can stay healthy through his career. Yeah, uh, but we'll kind of just leave that off for the Knicks unless we have anything to say. No, I think maybe later down the road we'll get into the Hawks when we talk about Hawks Sixers. Which will be an interesting series. Ooh. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Lakers Suns. We won't go too much into it, but game five was a beat down. Anthony Davis was out for an injury uh, and people were expecting uh, LeBron to just have like a 40 point game. He had like a good 20 something around 20 points, 20 points. It was around there. Um, box score is pretty okay. It was pretty good for him. Um, but they got zero point performances from Shooter and KCP. What are your thoughts on this series? It's 3-2 in favor of the Suns. And it's not looking good for the Lakers right now, especially if AD being out. Dennis Schroeder bet on himself by turning down $21 million. And he about to lose $10 million a year. He about to be making 11. It's I just seen a report that the Miami Heat is interested in signing Dennis Schroeder in the summer. Um, okay, they'll overpay for him, which sucks, and they probably shouldn't sign him because they have Kendrick Nunn. But anyway, yeah, Ken- Kendrick Nunn isn't worse than Dennis Schroeder, and nor is Dennis Schroeder better than Kendrick Nunn. So he's the starting point guard for the Lakers. It's just a heat team. If you get Schroeder, I feel like Oladipo has to – get his offense going to to reach that all-star level because he can be really good but it's just I'm worried about that offense from him Oladipo Um, yeah isn't he a free agent uh I think so but it's looking like he's gonna probably resign more or less he also turned down big money but but he turned down big money to the Rockets which makes sense or to offer him, but that's another topic of yeah another day. Um, Lakers Suns. Um, what did you think about Game Five? Um, was a question. Devin Booker is a baller, and anybody who ever doubted it was wrong. And the people that said him and Trey Young were good stats, bad team. Are, are are wrong. Um, they are both buckets and good stats, good teams, which I I didn't think needed to be said, because I mean like, all I needed to know that Devin Booker was good was to see him go against Paul George, Kevin Durant, Demar Derozan when he was like twenty in a USA basketball practice and he was lighting them up 
and I'm watching him cook my favorite NBA player, Kevin Durant, if that hasn't been clear yet, but just cook him. And I'm going, okay, whatever. Devin Booker's nasty. So like Devin Booker's nasty. I'm glad we're all aware of it now. Uh, should have already been new this man. No, no, no. Yeah, but there was people <laughs> who, before this season and before he went, and even after he went eight and zero in the bubble, people were like, "Eh," which was the stupidest thing ever. You just don't lucky win eight games in a row. You don't lucky drop seventy points. It it doesn't matter if it's good if his team is bad. He's a good player. So if he was put in a good team, say with a point guard who was, what, top five point guard to ever play basketball, you know, I would say he would still be just as good. And let me do a quick check. But I doubt his stats. No, yeah. He scored one less point than he did last season. So, taking less threes. He he loves that mid range, man. He's I, a killer in that mid range. Mid range. <sighs> but yeah, uh, he is a good team, good player. That's that's Devin Booker. Devin uh, Booker. Yeah. Devin Booker and Trey Young. Like you said, yeah, that empty stat stuff, I never got behind it. It didn't make sense because if you look at the like the, the teams Devin Booker was playing on, like even last season with the whole bubble thing, if DeAndre Aiden wasn't out, eighth seed, seventh seed, they could most likely make it. But when you take into account Aaron Baines was like your rim protector, uh that's not a good. That's not a. That's not a good rim protector. Ricky Rubio wasn't that bad for them, actually. Um, no, he wasn't. That's why. That's why I get so frustrated when people say like Chris Paul's MVP. Um, Devin Booker is the best player on his team. Yes. That, that, <laughs> Look, like, I know we want to ride that Chris Paul OKC narrative, but like. Especially when you see how Cameron Payne has played um, the play of Jay Crowder, Cal Bridges, who is becoming a legit two-way guy, uh, Cam Johnson. This team is more than just, oh, Chris Paul impact. Way more than that. It's a well-coached team, great young guys, and, and they got a system going where they can compete defensively, and their offense is really good with their three, their big three, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, um, DeAndre Aiden. And they got really good role players. So this team is more than just Chris Paul carrying and just turning around a franchise. Yeah. They were already built from this, from the bubble. Um, as I said, you don't go 8-0 just on accident. Um, I'm, I'm, I want to take it a step further. This does... This goes beyond the bubble. This goes to last season as a whole. They started off seven and four. Look, seven and four, 
Aiden gets suspended. The wheels fall off, and then Aiden's back, and they win eight straight in the bubble. So what happens if Aiden doesn't get suspended, and that 7-4 team continues? Are they an eighth seed? That's an eighth seed, seventh seed team. Yeah, so the Suns' success should not be a surprise. Probably they can go even more six seed. I don't yeah. think it's- Look, um, going from CP3, going from Rubio to CP3 turns them from a fringe 8-6 seed to a 2 seed. That's the improvement of Rubio to CP3. So, like, it's a great improvement. MVP, no. Chris Paul really just makes like setting up the offense much more easier. It takes yeah. pressure off of Devin Booker. Um, Ricky Rubio, he doesn't really have that game like Chris Paul, but he was doing a pretty decent job. But And I was kind of – I was an advocate of let's get Chris Paul on the Suns from like February 2020, probably earlier than that. Because um, that's really all they needed. And they just ride with Aiden being back. Like, if Baines is your starting center, like, no. <laughs> no. I love Baines. Like, he's a great personality and player. I think the Raptors were feeling a lot of the Baines uh, center. They did not yes. like it. So, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, But. The game five beatdown, I feel like the Suns did a good job protecting the rim. They loaded up basically on LeBron. They tried to keep him out of the paint as much as they can. Um, And the Lakers three-point shooters were just not really taking much advantage. Let me try and pull up the stats as I talk. Um, They got blown out. They made uh, 12 threes. They took 35, 34%. Um, they got zero points from their, from Dennis Schroeder, who shot zero for nine. And, I mean, if all you got to do is really – 13 threes ain't, ain't bad. But six of those threes came from LeBron James. I was going to say that. Yeah. Ooh. When you take into account they're kind of trying to load up and, like, force the ball out of his hands and say, no mas, you're not getting into the rim. Uh, LeBron is going to take those threes. Um, But I just feel like the Lakers just didn't capitalize on open threes. And the defense wasn't crisp. Anthony Davis was out. So (sighs) Devin Booker was able to get to his spots. He was able to just handoffs, mid-range uh, getting downhill and all that. Uh, and Cameron Payne off the bench. He's a quick guard, man. He can get in the lane, get downhill, hit a yeah. three, attack the defense off of ball screens. Like, he's carved out a role on this team. And it's like, yeah. He adds a new element off the bench for them. And that's yeah. something I really like with um, Cam Payne. He's a good six man. And then Jay Crowder is 
for all the funniness that happened to Jay Crowder in game three, I want to say. Hmm? You could say throughout the series. Throughout the series, he's done a good job defensively against LeBron. Like he's done a good he's done a good like how LeBron is a great. How are you really going to defend him? Crowder did good enough to slow him down. Like all those craziness. Hmm? He forced LeBron to be more of a shooter. Yeah. But they have no AD, so there's not really another option they can go to. And if it's just we if we lose to the role players of the Lakers, all right, we could we can just live with that. But if we're losing to LeBron and he's getting everything, no. (laughs) Yeah. Like you'd rather lose to Schroeder than to LeBron and Schroeder giving you zero points means he's probably not going to beat you, but you know, I don't, so I have a lot of issues with the Lakers. I think they're a Mickey uh, Mouse team. I don't want to say Mickey Mouse team because like Anthony Davis is out. This is kind of like the series where, I wish we could restart it with everybody healthy because then it would be a little more interesting. Like Chris Paul's hurt. He's toughing it out. Anthony Davis is. I'm going to. Groin injury or something. Yeah. He has a groin strain and that's like, that's a soft tissue injury and those just don't heal. Like that, that's time and that's rest. He's. What they play tonight, right? He he might he might not be there. And if he's not there, LeBron James needs to be special. And I don't know if this is the team to let him be special because you're starting Andre Drummond. So, you know, no team is special with Andre Drummond on it, but you gotta hit that little Andre Drummond slander, right? I have a lot of Andre Drummond's slander. The fact that he's starting over Marcus Gasol is, I don't even know what to say. Because, like, what's the, like, I'm not the biggest LeBron James fan, but I respect him and all that stuff. <laughs> LeBron James needs floor spacing. That's not the weakness of his game, but it's, a factor into his game. He needs some floor spacing, similar to Kawhi, where he needs to drive so that he could get the rest of his game. Last game, he was six for ten, and that was great. From three, that's a yeah, that's above his career average. So that's an outlier. You can't hate on me for saying that that was just an outlier because statistically it was. Pretty much giving the paint to Andre Drummond and just letting him be Andre Drummond isn't going to work in the playoffs. I I don't see how Frank Vogel thought of 
let's start Mark Keith Morris and Andre Drummond and see if we can win. I don't understand that mindset because you have Marcus all and like might as well throw Kyle Kuzma. Like people who can get you wins are not those two players. And I, I would just younger. (laughs) This wouldn't be a problem at all. I, I like Marcus Saul, but he's getting up there in age. Um, he still could provide defensively, and he can still be a floor space and big. It's just I feel like it's just the age, man. Like how many minutes did he, he played? He played, but he got in the last game. I just turned it off. I just closed that window. He only played like ten minutes. Like. I'm not even speaking like in the sense of like, bro, he played 10 minutes and hit a three. That's like, he took one three and hit it. Like all you're asking Gasol to do is stand around so that LeBron James could have open space to drive because you at least have to respect him outside of the paint. You do not have to respect Andre Drummond outside of the paint, meaning every time LeBron James drives, you can double. But the Suns are still gonna, um, still gonna throw help defense on him if, like, if Schroeder is like not hitting threes, if KCP's not hitting threes, they're gonna just say, "Screw it, we're just gonna send help defense when LeBron gets in the paint." And if he makes a shot over two, three eyes, then we can live with it. I mean, yeah, it's there and we make it hard for him. But who's helping? Is Devin Booker helping or is Aiton helping? Or KCP, really. Yeah. But then now if you have Andre Drummond on the court, who's helping? Aiden's helping. And that's yeah. a lot more difficult than if a guard who's guarding KCP or Schroeder is helping, which would be Booker. And LeBron James can eat Booker alive in the post, in the paint, not really a competition, or even Cameron Payne or CP3. He's just bigger and strong. He's just stronger. He's bigger. But now you put in Aiden because you can't move Andre Drummond anywhere. Like, it doesn't make sense. And I think that's my issue is that he ran out of starting lineup that literally did not make sense for the game. Or is it just because you don't like Andre Drummond? Who likes Andre Drummond? Point me to those people. The Pistons had y'all fooled, man, for a long ass time. The Pistons had you fooled with him. Um, I, I have no idea who said it. But whoever said, I remember this quote because someone said Andre Drummond could give you 30 and 20 and none of that will lead to winning. Basically. Because at this point, um, my main thing was like years ago, I'm just like, this man is getting a double-double every night. How the hell is he not like a top center and when I look at him, his post game is raw. Trash. And 
he's not like the best offensively. So how is this your franchise center and y'all still sticking it out with him? And he's not like he's not like a Rudy Gobert defensively. You know what the funny part is? Is that the league was transitioning into open court paints, everybody can shoot. And they were like, you know what? Our big who gets a double-double a night but can't play defense and is inefficient on offense, can't shoot, we're going to roll with that. While the mainstay has become everybody can shoot on the court five wide out, call it a day. And they were like, no. I remember I got, I made a a Pistons video like years back. And this comment always sticks in my head. I think this dude was like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Didn't you see Andre Drummond working on his threes in practice? I'm like, okay. Threes. Threes. He, he can barely put together a post move. We talking about threes? Uh, he could barely put together a free throw. Exactly. And I'm just like, threes. At that point, I'm just like, all right. I'm going to shut my mouth. Everything I said in that video played exactly the way I thought with the Pistons. They're going to get rid of Drummond. They're going to get rid of Blake because they're not producing and they're going to blow up the team. Everything I said in that video basically played out. Yeah, that would make sense. Uh, So... Drummond three. The most threes he ever took was the 2019-2020 season. Last season. 1.8 threes. And he shot at a 28% of those threes. He made 28% of 1.2 threes. So he was almost taking two threes a game, man. That's improvement. About threes. This man is about put together a post move. All, all I know is that signing him was probably a mistake. And them saying that they want to keep him while they have Anthony Davis doesn't make sense because Anthony Davis needs to play at the five. I feel like we should be like getting in on the Detroit Pistons fans and like their front office because they had y'all all tricked man <laughs> I <laughs> I, I... I'ma let it rock though <laughs> so what do you what do you think about tonight then because we're getting into tonight's games and I guess Nuggets Blazers next but for um, tonight's games, about Blazers and Nuggets, if you want, uh, transition to the main event, if you want. Um, but they're playing tonight. If AD's not playing, it's really like 
hard, especially because the Lakers were figuring out the LeBron AD um, two-man game. Like, if, if AD's not playing and their role players aren't making shots, like, you can't get, like, zero points from Schroeder or KCP. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I don't – I think – you think the defending champs are done tonight if AD doesn't play? It's either we're going to get a LeBron James, like, I'm putting Master my class. Yeah, I don't care who's in front of me. I'm getting to the rim. I'm going to be taking you in the mid-range. I'm going to be shooting over you and making everything. Uh, like, for them to, like, force, like, a game seven, it's going to take, like, either a big performance from their role players or it's going to take a big performance from LeBron and they got to figure out defensively because Devin Booker was just basically getting everything he wants. Um, just coming off of screens, coming off handoff plays and he, he's getting foul calls. He's the star now. So he's getting the foul calls. So they, they got some stuff to figure out going into this game, but It makes it hard for me to be like, all right, because I can't bet against LeBron, man. <laughs> yeah, bro. But I feel like the Suns, um, they'll win the series. But yeah. I'm not sure if it's going to be tonight. Um, but I feel like the Suns will win the series. So with, you know, the defending champion Lakers kind of on the ropes – I think let's let's take a look at the East with the Nets and the Bucks. I think that this is kind of a big series that we should definitely well, we're gonna talk about it, but in a sense of this it's two of the best teams in the league right now. And with the Lakers kind of having AD issues and their role players not being so great, this is kind of like the two complete teams in the NBA. And so we won't be able to see them in the NBA finals or in the East. We can't see them in the Eastern conference finals. So this is when we're going to see them and it should be a great series. I will give a disclaimer of, I am as well as a Knicks fan and Nets fan. I don't understand how KD bigger but bigger than all that, I am a KD fan. So I'll let you go first, Nick. Nets Bucks. This second round, this should be an NBA Finals matchup, if we're being honest. Um, and I like it. Um, I think the Bucks were just coming off a of Mickey Mouse series against. <laughs> I can't even say that for straight games. Uh. But um, I think the Bucks and the Heat, they kind of just, after that first game, they basically said, you know what, we, we, we put in them away. And they put them away, man. <laughs> like, that was the best type of revenge they can ever have against a team that basically just beat them flat out last season. Um, but Nets Bucks, there's a lot of things that I'm kind of wondering and just, you know, thinking of, 
uh, who is guarding Giannis? I mean, is the Nets going to go small? Are they going to keep the Blake Griffin lineup? This Nets team, I don't think they have really anyone stopping Giannis at the rim, or really anyone. And the Bucks have a lot of guys that can just beat you at the rim. Like Chris Middleton could get into the mid-range. Drew Holiday can post up. Um, Giannis can, you know, he lives near the rim. <laughs> and yeah. even Brooke Lopez, I feel like Brooke Lopez is going to be big this series, especially um, if they're going, if the Nets go small and there's no DeAndre Jordan, uh, Lopez is going to get his feeds. And I feel like he's just going to get a good amount of points production from there. Uh, is there anything you would say? Because I'm about to go in. <laughs> on the nets or the entire series when i say i'm about to go in i'm about to go in <laughs> i'm going full video mode you said that you had a lot of notes yeah, um a lot of thoughts there is very few sports things that I can be unbiased about. I would say it's very tough for me to be unbiased about the Giants, Yankees, and Kevin Durant. Those teams, like I can be unbiased and I can see the broader picture, but always my initial thought is positive and biased but then I take a step back and I think about it and I do more research and do more film and watch more stuff to figure out what's going on like if you are to ask me right now who's winning the Super Bowl I'm gonna say the Giants because I'm a fan first and then I try to analyze so I'm saying this because Kevin Durant's about to cook everybody the two games that the Nets lost in the regular seasons in the back-to-back games, the thing that they were missing was someone who could create because Kevin Durant lit them up. Kyrie Irving was solid. They needed someone to move the offense. And I think that if the Nets play... If the Nets play like they did in every game against the Celtics, unincluding the game they lost, they're going to win. Because their offense is kind of incredible. And in each of the first three wins they played, well, in each of the first four games, they played a different style of offense. In the first game... Trying to remember the first game. I wrote this all down in an article about the Nets. Plug it. (laughs) Plug it. Check out New York Sports Nation. Nets. That's all me. It's good. I go through each of those games' offenses and it transitioned and they got more creative. My favorite is game two and game four because in game two, It was ball movement, finding Joe Harris. The ball never stopped. And then in game four, 
it was isolation ball movement, which sounds like an oxymoron, but this team is really good at doing that because what they do is they ISO KD, Kyrie, or James Harden in different scenarios and you ISO them, but then everybody else is moving so that say they want to take the ISO shot, they can do that. If they want to pass it to Joe Harris for an easy three, if you want to pass it to a cutting Kyrie for an easy layup, if you want to pass it to Brown for an easy layup, they can figure it out. And I think the Nets and Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni, they did a good job of it. Huh? Antoni. Antoni? Mike Antoni. Antoni. Coach no D. Anyway, they did a good job of experimenting with the offense, and I think that they knew they were going to win the Celtics series, and they just went out and did a different game plan every game. And the game that they lost, they played major isolation ball, so I don't think they're ever going to do that again. And I think that they're going to figure out the gaps in the Bucks' defense. And for the Giannis problem, Giannis problem, there's there's really nothing you can do. I was watching, um, there's a writer for Nets Daily SB Nation, Matt Brooks, and he does videos specifically on the Nets. And he put out a video talking about who's going to guard Giannis. And I was watching it, but then we started doing this. So I got halfway through it. And he said, Blake Griffin is probably the number one for it, which makes sense. He's a big guy, force him to take mid-ranges. And if you're forcing Giannis to take mid-ranges, I'd be okay. Are you ready to go off now? Okay. So the way the Nets can win here, as you said, they're more so isolation. They got three best isolation scores to ever grace the game of basketball. Um, they got so much options where I think they can really, really expose the Bucks, And it's similar to what Miami Heat did last year, but they weren't able to do this year because their players just went cold is um, just going after that drop coverage. Uh, if they're going to have Brooke Lopez drop, you got Kyrie and Durant who are just pull-up masters and can kill you or get downhill. So that's going to be an area to watch there with the Bucks and how they play in the pick and roll off ball screens. They're also three players that use a lot of ball screens. Um, I don't know because what the Nets do is that, and I've seen this a lot in the Celtics series, is that they go switch, switch hunting. So I think in that Celtic series, it was like Harden getting a screen. And it was like, yo, uh, bring the big man here so I can uh, break him down and all that. So I don't think the Bucks will let that go so easily as the Celtics did. And they're probably just going to hedge and all that and force like whatever the matchups drew on Kyrie. They're going to force some um, Harden. They can live with Harden just going one-on-one. That's basically all you can really do. Um, cause if you get downhill and he's able to draw help defense, it's pretty much over. Uh, I don't 
I think Kevin Durant, they don't, no one really has an answer for him. You just got to hope that he don't. I know that's just a simple answer, but it's just, uh, you just got to hope that he doesn't make shots. Um, they're a switch heavy defense. And I think Jason Tatum kind of exposed that a bit. Um, and he was able to get in the teeth of your defense and get to the rim, but I don't think that was like exploited heavily. That's going to be exploited heavily with the Bucks. So I expect a lot of these guys to Giannis to get downhill, get into that paint, destroy you guys at the rim and just go from there. Um, and also that switch defense, man, as I said, I really don't like switch heavy defenses and the Nets do it. That's basically Mike D'Antoni and, and what they'll basically do is just like, all right, we switch, but sag off the people we perceive to not be non-shooters. And that's kind of what the heat did. And it was not pretty because now the Bucks have shooters. <laughs> so it's a tough task for the Nets, for the Nets. And I know people are going to say easily, we have, the, they have the best offense out there. Uh, they like to push the ball up quickly. They like to hunt for weak link defenders, utilize a post play with KD and all that, and, and just move the ball. Um, but I think the, the Bucks, if there's a team out there that can slow down the Nets offense, it is the Bucks. They match up perfectly with them. My only concern is Brooke Lopez on defense. Are they going to really like exploit him in any way? Um, because the Heat really wasn't able to. They had Duncan Robinson come off handoffs, Brooke would drop, and Robinson really wasn't having that big of a series. Tyler Harrow also. Uh, their role players really wasn't destroying them. Uh, so that's really what I'm kind of concerned of. Um, they have the best three offensive heads. So that's a tough task in its own. Um, anything you would say? I want to see the pit, the series start very badly i think it's going to be a great series i think that there's two ways that this can kind of go the nets can start off hot and finish hot in the sense of offensively they start shooting threes and they get a 10-point lead, and then what they do is they go shot for shot with the Bucks, And the Bucks are keeping it close, and the Nets are keeping the lead the same where it is because you can't really expand on it because the Bucks are a good team. But you start off hot, and then you carry that momentum through the end of the game. And in the end of the game, you're forcing the Bucks to turn into – this great offensive team, which they can be, but again, you can still go shot for shot with them at any point in time. My issue is that if it's a really close game, the Bucks know how to clamp down on defense and 
and handle their jobs on that side where the nets that's their strong suit i mean their weakness and i think if it comes down to the last five minutes and it's a three-point game the bucks might be able to pull it off so my hope is that when it gets to the last five minutes the nets are up seven because then if it's a shot for shot game there's no better team in the nba that can go shot for shot with you because the Nets have Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. And if you want to go shot for shot with them, have fun. You're not going to win. You have the best defenders out there. Like, and it's also should be mentioned that Dante DiVincenzo, it seems like he's going to be out this series. And Pat Connaughton may be the starter here, which I don't really like defensively. <laughs> like yeah. I think Dante DiVincenzo was much better as that pesky defender. Um, he's he a scrapper. Play. Yeah, he's a scrapper, good at navigating through screens and just being a guy to like fight and be, yeah, as you said, scrapper. Um, it's just, I feel is Giannis going to guard KD? Because he did a good job on Jimmy Butler um, last series. Um, like, the thing is, you're saying that you have the best isolation scores. The Bucks would love for that to happen. Like, if it's an ISO and yeah. KD, Kyrie just going one-on-one, and as long as I have a Drew Holiday, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Garden Harden, KD, Drew with a hand in their face, live with it. I won't like an open three from like Joe Harris or something like that, or they just get in the lane and just carve up the defense and draw help. Um, that's what I'm saying. I really believe that this um, Bucks team can slow down the Nets offense. What, what I'm saying is that their ISO ball is ISO ball. Like it's, they have the ISO players and they go isolation a lot and they just let like your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn offense take over sometimes. But I think when they're the most deadly is when you combine that with running Joe Harris off ball screens and Kyrie Irving cutting and the just movement. Just yeah, just movement around the isolation play and i think that's what's scary because their isolation plays have turned into that where it's isolation with kevin durant on the wing in the post but then bruce brown's cutting to the rim and it's a wide open layup so or joe harris is running around like two screens and he has a three at the top of the key or you run all this action all the way on the other side of the court. So you got to scramble to defend a possible wide open Kyrie three. And you forget about James Harden at the top of the key and it's an easy pass and it's wide open. So it's isolation. Yes. But so much is run off of the isolation that it could end up being too much. And I think what? that's where they're finest with isolation movement 
What I don't like um, is the Joe Harris thing. Uh, as you said, running off of screens. DiVincenzo was good for that. And if I can remember, Harris didn't really have a good shooting um, play when they were in the regular season series. Um, well, I don't really like Pat Connaughton like running through screens trying to chase yeah. Joe Harris. Um, so that will be interesting. Maybe they go Bryn Forbes to put even more three-point pressure onto you guys, which That's I, a I don't want to play. I don't want to test. For the Nets, I know that the, the thing is, okay, we might just have to, we might have to, like, let shooters shoot. But, like, I don't think you want to play that game with the Bucks. Let shooters shoot? Yeah. I think what's scary is that Jeff Green isn't playing. And I feel like true. if you true. haven't watched a lot of Nets basketball, you don't understand the importance of Jeff Green because he was a vital part of both sides of the court where he was super switchable and he was playing the five. And he pretty much switched on to everybody. And with the Nets being such a switchable defense, he was perfect for that. Um, it's just him not being there on offense. He's just going to stand in the corner and hit threes and set off ball screens. And that's what he did. And that's kind of, that's going to be missed. And I wonder if Bruce Brown kind of takes over that spot, which I would love to see because Bruce Brown is, I've been wanting him to get more playing time this whole season because to me, he's awesome. He's like the perfect player. He isn't he like six, four. Yeah. But he's the center when he's on the court. He's the center on, which is on, amazing. on offense. He's the center on defense. He guards the best guard. That's an amazing versatility, to be honest. And that's what uh, the Nets have. And that's why Jeff Green is so important. Because if you're running out Jeff Green and Bruce Brown, Nick Claxton, who's a great switchable defender, kind of, it's the defense could, what, could manage. Mm -hmm. You think Claxton gets a lot of run? Like, do you think they will eventually say, you know what, let's start Claxton? No, not against no. the Bucks, Not against the Bucks or the 76ers because Embiid and Giannis will, will eat him up because he's a, he's a great switchable defender. He's not a great big post defender. Like he's still a little scrawny. So, like, Giannis is just going to put him in the post and keep backing him up. You, Blake Griffin can at least push back. Claxton's really good at – he uses his length. So, if Giannis – if he was a little bit stronger and he could push back on Giannis, then it would work because then now you're forcing Giannis to take mid-range. And I feel better with Claxton closing out than Blake Griffin. Younger, longer – makes more sense 
But so who's guarding Brooke Lopez? If Giannis is guarding Blake Griffin, who's guarding Brooke Lopez? Bro, I, I have no idea, but I could see Brooke Lopez minutes drop a lot. He's gonna get I, run off the court. I think he's a plus offensively, and he's just gonna attack you in the post. They're probably gonna just run with Brooke Lopez um defensively and just see how it works out and just keep the drop going. Um, if that ends up getting, you know, destroyed or anything, I feel like they'll put in a lot of PJ Tucker minutes. Um, because that's that's another guy, PJ Tucker, who may be, you know, a guy to throw on KD. You got you have to go from Giannis to P PJ, and you got the thing is the Bucks just have defensive bodies, you know. Yeah. What I'm scared um, of is a lineup of Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and PJ Tucker. I don't care about the fifth guy. Probably a guard, probably Forbes, but that lineup scares me because KD can only switch onto one guy and be extremely dominant. All the other guys, it's a matchup. You keep saying Giannis can guard KD. I I I disagree. Well, I think I think out of I'm, out of Chris Middleton. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, but out of Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, PJ Tucker, and Giannis, the person that I would want KD to attack the most would be Giannis, and then Chris Middleton, and I'd be the most scared of Drew Holiday and PJ Tucker. Even though I'm pretty sure KD will eat up PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker's the thing is PJ Tucker. It's physical. Eating up anyone, but PJ Tucker's just physical. Um, I think he was eating him up in the regular season series too. Yeah, he was. Tucker was just doing good defense all he can. He was standing in front. Yeah, and that's the thing that scares me about Drew Holiday. They, in the regular season, they didn't really put Drew Holiday on him. And I think it's, yeah, on KD. And I think it's because KD might have wanted to avoid him. Or, I mean, do they really have to put Drew on KD? Drew's already guarding Kyrie. He has to deal with, because Kyrie can get going, man. Like, he gets to his spots, it's over. Drew kind of, you know, made him work a bit. Drew Holiday is the best defender for KD, and I would be more worried about having KD going than Kyrie. Because if both of them are going, they go and drop 40. But KD can drop 40 with anybody guarding him. Well, if you have a P.J. Tucker lineup, I'd imagine they just go switch everything. And if that's yeah. the case, um, obviously the weak link defender would probably be like you know, the guard, Bryn Forbes or like Pat Connaughton. But they would still like throw like a nearby help defender um, to at least make it harder on him or they would just double team him. That's why the ISO movement thing is so good because now Katie's in the post on the block. 
He's in the mid range. He doing his job. All four other people are on the other side of the court running back cuts and screens for each other. And it's just getting all messed up in this small area. And eventually someone's going to leak out to the top of the key or someone's going to get a wide open run to the, to the basket. So that's why I love that ISO movement with KD on the wing because everybody else just kind of makes this eight person thing. It just gets Maybe messy. They, just, they just all stay home and they live with the results of a heavily contested shot, really. Um, and then if they do that, Drew Holiday is the best man to put on KD because KD hates smaller defenders, hates them because they knock him off his balance and they're right by his hip and his knees and they just cart elbowing his thighs and pushing him and it's annoying and it gets to Katie's head and that's what you gotta do and I think Drew Holiday is long enough that when Katie tries to take a shot he can at least put a hand in his face no matter what PJ Tucker has the small scrappiness to him but Katie's not worried about PJ Tucker I think Drew Holiday Gets this conversation just got into like, is there really any answer for Kevin Durant? No, but a Tony like Allen type is. Because like the most so, you would hope he misses. So Katie had a stretch the season he left OKC or the season before. I'm pretty sure it was one of those Andre Iguodala's on the Warriors. And I think they played them back to back and like Kevin Durant dropped like 40 and 50 on him. And people thought Iguodala was the perfect man to guard Kevin Durant. And that's not true because if you stay with him, he's, he's, he's going to find a way to go around. Like you can't guard KD without annoying him. If you annoy KD, he gets off of his game, like Tony Allen. Tony Allen just annoyed the crap out of KD. He didn't actually do anything defensively. He just annoyed him by fighting over screens, hitting him in the side, contesting every shot. Kind of when KD would post up, Tony Allen would hit him back. And Drew Holiday is that type of player. So I'm scared of Drew Holiday on KD. Do you think the Bucks would even like go to that other than if it was a switch, like have Drew as that primary KD defender? Because I think Drew is like the best guard defender. Um, oh, yeah. He's great at guarding guards. But look, I don't know if I told you this. Kevin Durant to me is a shooting guard that's just seven feet tall. So I'm going to count him as a guard. So Drew Holiday is you said that, man. there. I have, a, I have a seven-footer here in Dallas. That's, that's, that's a shooting a guard. guard. Yeah, good. It's not exactly. Good. <laughs> but Kevin Durant is the best version of that. Like, if you want to talk about his play style, he plays like a two. 
He has the height of a five, and that's what makes him special. Kevin Durant is unguardable in all the sense of the word unguardable. He is, to me, undeniably the best offensive player to play basketball. The way to stop him is literally just to annoy him into taking shots that he doesn't want to take. So what if you just partass? Just let KD just still have a good defender like P.J. Tucker on him. Let him drop 50? And you close out on like Harden. What you want Harden to do is just play iso ball. What you want Kyrie... You kind of want to like get the ball out of Kyrie's hands, so maybe like a, a a soft double team, not really a hard double team. Um, just try and get the ball out of his hands and just recover. Uh, but KD, I don't know, man. Yeah, I I wonder if they kind of be a playmaker more. Yeah, I wonder if they try to take the ball out of Kevin Durant's hands. Like, there's two ways to go about it. What they could do is go, hey, KD is the only one that can score on this in this game. And KD goes off, but you have to co- you have to control Harden and you have to control Kyrie. And if they do that. Yeah, like it's similar to what the Mavericks are doing to the Clippers, letting Kawhi do his thing and hope that the rest of the people don't beat you or just holding him to not get everything he wants and force him to be more creative. I think the issue is, is that now you're in the point where Kevin Durant's just a decoy for James Harden and Kyrie Irving. And so what are you doing when James Harden is dribbling between the legs constantly and getting screens from Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin, who can hit a three, who can drive, who can do it all. And now you're putting Brooke Lopez on switches on James Harden. And it's, oh, see, ideally that's where PJ Tucker comes into play and they just go switch heavy because you just want a body in front of Harden. Um, because if he gets in a pick and roll, he gets downhill. He's, he's making plays out of that. He's probably not even going to be looking to shoot but more. So just find the open guy, which he does like in his sleep. Um, yeah. But if you have him one-on-one where he's just dribble, 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 step back three, and you get a hand up. Perfect. We can live with that. Um, as I said before, Kyrie, you kind of want to force him to be a playmaker. That's why I kind of want Drew to stick on Kyrie because I feel like he's the best to try and slow him down um, and keep up with him. Uh, you know what I thought about? What happened? I don't want to say it because it's kind of a good idea. You put Drew on KD, Chris on Harden, and they don't leave them. And then you double Kyrie whenever he gets the ball. Yeah, that's ideally what I was saying. Because then 
Harden and KD can give you 30 to 40, but Kyrie's going to give you like 20. And he's not the best playmaker for others. And that's kind of what the Celtics did in game three where they lost is KD and James Harden went off. Kyrie played bad and the rest of the others play bad. So if you treat, oh gosh, if you treat Kyrie like just a regular role player, what, what comes out of that? And that sounds super disrespectful to Kyrie because he's amazing. But if you treat him like the third option and you let... Like, hmm? just sag off of him <clears throat> like um, when the ball's not in his hands or something? Yeah, and then when he gets the ball, double-team him and force the ball out of his hands, and then you just I don't think stay that's it... Kyrie's too quick to attack closeouts and the double team isn't going to... By the time the double team is there and it's fully set, Kyrie's probably going to be in the lane and he's probably going to be getting a floater or he's yeah. just going to kick out corner or, or another guy or find a big. Um, that's kind of risking it. So I'm trying to think of the Bucks' perspective and what they could do to slow down the offense. We talking about that, but how the hell are you slowing down the Bucks offense? <laughs> you asked me who's on Brooke Lopez earlier. I still ain't get an answer for that. Yeah, because like I don't know. You might have to go Kyrie Harden Harris. No. Because I want to kind of insert DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. And you just have him play drop back off defense on Giannis and I guess Brooke Lopez, but Brooke Lopez can hit a three. And then he can hit a three and he can post you up. And if the net nets are continuously switching, they're just going to switch hunt, get Brooke in the post or get. Giannis in the post and just eat you up there. So I don't think the Bucks offense has to be very much complex with how your defense is really. And I don't know if the Nets go something new. You, I would say like I don't like when teams automatically do something new unless if they practice it in practice and they're like, hey, we're going to do this in the playoffs, but we already know what we're doing. But it's usually not good to like go with something new in the playoffs. Um, so I expect them to be a switch heavy team, and I feel like that's gonna bite them. Yeah. Is Drew even getting the post on Kyrie? Chris Middleton is going now. I mean, Harden, ha if Harden's on him, someone has to guard Chris Middleton now. I think Harden would be the one because Harden's not a bad post defender and Chris likes to get into the post a little bit and kind of I think they had like do some faders um in the regular season yeah uh 
So, all I'm look in this series. I know you're probably going Nets, but I'm going the Bucks in six. And it's in six. Six. Whoa! Look, the Bucks can get stops, and they. I haven't even mentioned Bobby Portis as an option where they can go to as well. Against um, who? Underrated, um, as a big. If they want to swap Brook Lopez and you know, get him rest and go with Bobby Portis. Um, but who's Bobby Portis guarding? He's basically operating as the big. With Brook Lopez. I he mean, gone, if Blake Griffin is bad, wouldn't Bobby Portis be guarding Blake? I think you put Blake Griffin in every pick and roll possible to get him switched on to Harden or Kyrie or KD, and they're going to go work on Bobby Portis just like they're going to go work on Lopez. I don't see that. I don't see that as a plus. I could see Bobby Portis fall out. Oh, I love Bobby Portis, but I'm just saying I could be totally wrong and the Bucks could stay to their game plan. I'm saying that the Nets might make the Bucks. That's so that's what's really difficult and about y'all don't have y'all don't have like options that's versatile defensively as the Bucks. You have yeah. to rely on the switch defense because if you bring in DeAndre Jordan, you have to play him in a drop, and it hasn't been working out to perfection for him. You have to play in a switch because of the talent that you have. You don't – I mean, if you play Nicholas Claxton, maybe a bit. You get stops for you guys. The Bucks, they can go in, they can go in a drop. They can, they can switch everything, and they're just more – defensive guys man they're Look, more the thing- defensively and they can get stops i think like, that's I know the offense is good but like if i can live with having a hand in the face of Kyrie, harden and kd maybe it, it just slows them down but then on the offensive end i don't think y'all have an answer for the bucks I think this series, I think this series is interesting because you haven't given me a solid option to say, all right, this is who's guarding Giannis. This is who's guarding Brooke Lopez. And the the Nets don't have that. They have team defense in the sense of, like you said, it's switchable. So no one's really guarding anybody. It's constant switching. Maybe the Bucks will implement a strategy that attacks the switching, but the but the Bucks don't really go heavy on the pick and roll, and so. What a pick there's... and roll! Well, Drew, I would say, because uh, the Giannis pick and roll hasn't has been kind of like yeah because like so if we're switching if we're switching you want to get a drew holiday Giannis pick and roll so Kyrie Irving's on Giannis right Mm -hmm. that's what you want what I would hope is that 
they make Blake Griffin not switch, play a drop defense, and make Kyrie Irving go over the screen. I feel like they're going to get over the screen. (laughs) Kyrie, like Kyrie and James Harden are not elite defenders. But in the playoffs, they're okay. And I think James Harden has been a better defender on the Nets because he doesn't have to be so ball dominant on offense so he has more energy. So I think, and then he's not a bad post defender. That's why I think he's on Middleton. Kyrie Irving is at least long and he's pokey and he'll not mess with Drew Holiday, but he can at least kind of stay in front. And if he can fight over screens and force Blake and like not force the switch, which I feel like they're not going to do. But again, the thing is the series is so hard to speculate with because I feel like Every, I don't know how to say this. Say what you want, because there's another element I want to say that's kind of going to hurt you. The, I feel like there could be a lot of adjustments in this series. The the weird, from both sides, because I think, yeah, you can, there's a lot of options to guard the Nets. So the Bucks just have to pick one. And if one doesn't work, you go to the next, you go to the next, you go to the next. And so you find one that is a little bit successful. So that's why I think there'll be a lot of adjustments by the Bucks. I don't know how many adjustments the Nets will make, but it seems like the logical decision is to not switch on screens set by Giannis and switch on everything else. And then on offense, attack Brooke Lopez so that you run him off the court and they have to play small with P.J. Tucker. And then you just let P.J. Tucker be P.J. Tucker wherever he is and focus on not switching Giannis and then making sure that Chris Middleton doesn't get hot and forcing Drew Holiday into bad shots. And that's what you do. And I think the way that you start off doing that is by your starting lineup is James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Bruce Brown, Kevin Durant, and Blake Griffin. And Joe Harris comes off the bench. But I've been calling that since the start of the season that Joe Harris... Best three-point shooter, especially when the gravity of KD and all those guys are just heavy and it opens up shots for him like that. Yes. You want to know why? Because I don't – I'm not saying for his minutes to drop. I'm just saying for him to not start. He's still going to get his minutes, and I think – I also wrote an article on this. Joe Harris is the MVP of the Nets offense. But in a series where you have no answer for the opposing team's defense, you need to spice it up a little bit. And I think Bruce Brown is the perfect spicing upness 
where he still only plays like 20 minutes and Joe Harris still plays like 25 to 30 minutes, but you just started off with a little, with a little curve ball. So Joe Harris is taller than Bruce Brown, by the way. Um, oh yeah, but he's, he has slow feet. That's, he has slow feet and he doesn't, he doesn't shy away from contact, but he doesn't go at somebody while Bruce Brown is like a, it's like a bulldog just running around attacking people. And I like that. And he would at least, he would force the ball out of Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton's hands. And so now you have Kyrie Irving on Pat Cunnington. Bruce got Drew and Harden has Chris. And you just let Kyrie Irving kind of flow through the motions on defense and let him kind of run the offense so that James Harden and KD could be more defensive. I mean, Harden kind of have to has to run the offense because he's the best uh, initiator of the offense. No, yeah, but you, you get more shots to Kyrie. Like you run a good amount of plays for Kyrie to get him a good open looks. Because if he's hot, Harden and Katie gonna do their thing and then it's over. Like all three of them need to be good. And I'm betting on them, all three of them being good four times in seven games. That would not shock me. There's another element that's you know not talked about much. The Brooklyn Nets rebounding. Oh no. How are you going to close defensive possessions when you can't grab boards and you're going up against a bigger team like the Milwaukee Bucks? The, you know, for the season, the Nets' best rebounder was 7.5, I believe. is like DeAndre Jordan. Let me see. Yeah, that's an, that, that's an, that's an issue. If you have a great defensive possession you close it off. I think that's something in the Celtics series that was also being exploited a bit with your team. Um, was just getting beat, with just grabbing offensive rebounds on them. And I mean, if y'all playing small, like what's, if you, if you have the most perfect defensive possession and then Giannis swoops in for a defensive rebound and boop, lay it back in. What happens? So, there? I'm kind of pushing the DeAndre Jordan starting tree. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't think that's going to happen because James Harden, solid defender, KD, solid defender. And then you hope Blake can at least box some people out. I'm looking at their basketball reference page. The Nets are actually the fifth best defensive rebounding team, but also allow the third most defensive rebounds. Wow. So they allow they average 35.5 defensive rebounds a game, which is fifth. 
and they allow 32.6 defensive rebounds, which is third. But in total rebounds, they're 14, and in total rebounds allowed, they're 12. So it's not as big as it sounds, but I think I know why. It's because this is why I am nervous and excited for this series because I still don't know what's going to happen because there's so much factors that need to go into the Nets team. The Nets are a good defensive rebounding team because they're such a good offense that it forces teams to take bad three-point shots, which then allows guards like Kyrie Irving and James Harden to rack up rebounds because you have to go shot for shot with them. And that's the thing. If the Nets offense is going and you're forcing Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton and Giannis into threes, the likelihood of there being a long rebound gets higher, which is better for the Nets. So like everything really goes to this offense needing to start off every game 20 to 10. The Nets just need to go out, shoot a whole bunch of shots. And now that's making me think Joe Harris needs to start so that he could put up five threes, make three of them. KD can do his thing. James Hardy can mess up and destroy in the pick and roll and just go off. And Kyrie can be Kyrie. So maybe Joe Harris does start. Dan Tony's vision of like, forget about defense, let's double the offense. Yeah, and that's pretty much what it is. That's kind of what you need to do here. Um, This is just going to be a straight up offense versus defense team, which I love. Uh, Yeah, like I have a good comparison. Go ahead. Kansas City Chiefs. They have a bad defense. Technically, by the numbers, their defense is bad. I'm talking about not last season, but the year before when they won the Super Bowl. Their defense is technically bad. You want to know why? Because every game you have Patrick Mahomes putting up four touchdowns in the first half, and the game is pretty much over. So the other team has to throw it every possession. So the corners are always just getting beat up and beat up and beat up and beat up and you're constantly going after them. And the way that NFL defenses work is that it doesn't help the cornerbacks or the safeties. So it always gives the advantage to the wide receiver. So of course you're going to have a bad defense, but when you get to the playoffs and it's more of a, you have to include a running game and, you can kind of go man coverage and your defense has been in man coverage every single game and has gotten destroyed because they get thrown out and then they're getting experience. But in the playoffs, you go against the Tennessee Titans and the Texans and you shut them down in the second quarter because your run defense is amazing and no one knew because the whole season, everybody was throwing on you. Your offense did that. Patrick Mahomes is such a good player that he made the defense good because other teams needed to go at him. 
you needed to score 40 points to beat the Chiefs. And I think that's what's going to happen. You need to score 130 to beat the Nets. And that's going to force the hand on the Bucks. To you, is that with this Bucks defense, it ain't going to be easy. <laughs> what I'm saying is any team with Kevin Durant is going to be good on offense. You're not wrong. And then for your second option to be James Harden, who averaged 36 points in a year. Oh, now you finally give respect to Mr. Harden. Well, look, it's different. It's different. Because he can Harden built different, man. We've been known. What? No, I know Harden's built different. But Harden is better suited in the position he is in now than dropping 36 points. God. All right. Bro, 18 assists. Look, look, look. I like the position he's in, but we can't, like, discredit what he did on Houston. I'm not discrediting it. I'm just saying this is the better version of Harden. Because he's more of playmaker yes the same reason why Kyrie Irving now is the better version than Kyrie Irving on the Celtics because now he's off ball and not the playmaker can that make every like score like amazing though like Kevin Durant was amazing in Golden State probably the best years of his career yeah you know what what about it I'm just saying, you know, like when great scorers become more like I'm going to take a seat back and let the offense come to them instead of just being on ball. The game is just easier and probably much more fun. Yeah. Which is what this Nets team is like. No one's really the main. They have three number one options. Kyrie, number one option. (laughs) Kyrie can be a number one option, like if he's hot, like if he got it going, he's he's there. He's more like, like it's more like Katie's one A, Harden's one B, and like and technical holders. And Kyrie's like a two plus. Like he's not a one C, but he's not a two. He's in the middle. Look, look, all right. I'm excited. Let's go make a series. Where, who do you have winning this series in how many games? Nets six. So, Nets in six, and I got Bucks in six. Yeah. I just, (laughs) what would you like to bet? I don't know. I'm not like extremely confident about it. I feel like it's going to go seven, and if it goes seven, it's a toss-up. So that's why I want to go net six. You know, the thing is, is that the way the Bucks just beat the, the Heat. Yeah, it, it was scary. It wrong, that, that's what's scary. That's, look, that's my issue with the Nets. Is that they don't 
they don't have like they have a killer instinct in KD and Kyrie, but they don't have that. I'll do whatever it takes to win attitude. And I think Jeff Green was kind of that. And that's what scares me. The Bucks have camaraderie and the disappointing last two seasons to kind of fuel them while the Nets don't really have much of a drive. Not saying they don't have drive, they just, their drive isn't as prevalent as the Bucks. What happens, because I feel like either way, whoever loses the series is going to blow up on social yeah. media. No, screw it. I'm not doing all that narrative shit. <laughs> I was going to say who you think has more pressure on them more. I'm not doing that. Never mind. No, because they both have... Well, look. I think, I think they they actually don't have an incredible amount of pressure. Like, of course, pressure, like Bucks might have more pressure because they've been a team together. But next season, the rosters will look very similar. And that's why I don't think there's much pressure, like compared to Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers where he could leave. They need to win to keep Kawhi happy. But here they don't have to because the teams will probably stay the same. Kyrie KD and James Harden are signed up for at least another year. Giannis, Chris, and Drew, another year. You know, run it back style. You see, all right. I said Bucks in six, but there's a part of me that's just like, are you confident with that, Nick? (laughs) I mean, I would say a good 90% of me is like, it's going to be the Bucks winning this one. Then there's that 10% where it's just like, no matter what the Bucks do and just everything goes right for uh, the Nets offensively and they are just hitting everything. And maybe they get those stops, they get in the right places, um, they get good help defense. Blake Griffin does an amazing job on Giannis at least, probably holds him down to a good... 25 points instead of 40, but that's a difficult task. Um, maybe Brooke Lopez doesn't get his post touches and he's just more of a floor spacer. It's a tough series to predict. Um, and if you say the Nets, I would not be mad at you. They have three of the best scores <laughs> to ever, like of this generation, basically. Um, and they have the best score in Kevin Durant leading it. Controversy was Harden better, KD better. Okay, uh, but they, it's it's a lot for the Bucks to like manage, like a lot of offensive options they have to manage. So I, ten percent of me is saying, all right, maybe the Nets do pull this out. It'll probably be a grueling series but they can possibly bring it out but not i'm leaning more on the bucks here yeah like 
Yeah, like the the Nets series is just a hard one to call because I just feel like if the Bucks defense is what it was against the Heat, yeah, there might be some issues for the Nets. But if the Nets offense is what it has been, I don't see Okay, this is how I look at it. If the Bucks' defense is really good, I think the Nets still have a chance. But if the Nets' offense is the way it's been, I don't think the Bucks have a chance. So that's why I'll roll Nets. But also, KD and Nets fan, so, you know. Uh, I really could care less for both of these teams, like majority of the NBA. Like, I'm more so, even though I'm a Mavs fan, I'm more so just NBA fan. So I really do not care <laughs> who wins or not. I just want to see some good basketball. I know that may shock some people, but uh, that's how it is. Um, but as I said, I'm going to roll with the Bucks in six. I don't think there's an, there isn't an answer for Giannis. Um, I don't think there's an answer for Middleton. I don't think there's an answer for Brooke. Uh, I think there's an answer for Middleton. Is there? I mean, like, yeah, what you could do is just let Giannis get his two points and stop Chris from going off with KD. And then you say, okay, Giannis, you get these two, but Harden's about to hit this three. And so you kind of let Giannis get his 30 on twos and free throws. And would we agree the winner of this series is basically going to the finals? Yeah, pretty much. I have very little hope in the Sixers, 76ers. I think the Sixers can take either of these two teams to at least six games. But it all depends if Joel Embiid is playing. If he's not... Bro, if he's not playing, I could see this Hawks series get a little interesting. That's my own personal take. Hmm? Joel Embiid basically makes them contenders. Like, legit contenders. Um, He's got to stay healthy, man. Damn. Like, bro, so I just don't have faith in Ben Simmons as a scorer. And if Tobias, yeah, which was the best thing they could do. I don't know, man. I think it gets interesting with Hawks and 76ers if Embiid is out the whole series. And we'll see how that plays out. Um... But is there anything else you would say about the Nets Bucks series? I no, no. Okay. So on that note, Jose has the Nets in six. I have the Bucks in six, <laughs> and we'll wrap it up on that note. Um, thank you for tuning in to the first episode of the Play Call podcast. I am Nicholas Williams. My co-host here, Jose Roden, 
and hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day.